You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. Uh, Today we begin a brand new teaching series called Advent. We're exploring the four themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. I, I, uh, I'm so excited for this teaching series because those four words are not wimpy words, are they? These are strong, robust, deep theological principles for us to center our hearts and our minds around uh, this season. Uh, Advent is the season of preparation as we look forward to celebrating the coming of Christ. Uh, It comes from the Latin word adventus, which is a translation of the Greek word parousia, which means coming, arrival, or presence. Jesus uses this Greek word parousia in Matthew 24, 27, when he says, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the rest, uh, the west, so will be the coming, the parousia, or we might say in Latin, the, the adventus, the advent of the Son of Man. Now, Jesus is obviously not talking about his own birth right there, right? And he's talking about not the first coming, he's talking about the, the second coming. And this is maybe a missed element of Advent for many Christians, that the season of Advent is dual in nature. There's two purposes. We look back and we remember the first coming of Christ. This is Bethlehem, the nativity, the manger, the camels, the white, like this is the familiar scene. But at the same time, we also look forward at the coming or the arrival of Jesus once again. And of course, to talk about something arriving or coming or showing up implies that there's waiting involved. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says celebrating Advent means learning how to wait. Anyone just love to wait? I don't know a single person who would say, you know what I look forward to? The DMV. (laughs) You know, this idea of waiting and like, picking the long line at the grocery store or getting stuck in traffic, right? We have waiting rooms. You know, you show up for your appointment and they're not ready for you. And so they have a special room. It's a waiting room. And, uh, and yet, even though we kind of agonize around waiting, did you realize there's a special blessing that comes in waiting, specifically waiting on the Lord. Let me remind you of Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord. Can everyone say, wait for the Lord? This is a a major theme throughout the Psalms, even, in the Old Testament. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I believe in the season of Advent, it's not only a season of of looking at the arrival of the coming of Christ, but it's also a season of waiting, that there's a blessing. The Lord can renew our strength and empower us to walk with God and to run the race set before us. So let me ask you to consider this question, just to think about this question personally. What are you waiting for? 
What are you waiting for? Are, are there things in your life right now that you're waiting for? Uh, Chris, could you bring me that box, actually? I, I, left, a, I, I left a prop uh, off stage. My, they, hey, give it up for Chris. Thank you. <laughs> He's our Amazon delivery guy for the day. Uh, online purchases, okay? This is maybe a simple example, but maybe you, 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 did, the on, you did the Black Friday, the Cyber Monday. Maybe you're, you're not proud how much you spent, maybe a little bit of overspending there, but the deals, right? The doorbuster deals. And maybe maybe you, you, you clicked purchase, and then you're waiting. You're waiting, still waiting. I mean, we know supply chain, right? You know how things go these days. You're waiting for something to get delivered. Uh, maybe, you know, if you, if you have kids, small kids, you have one of those advent calendar. You know, those? we have one. It's the 25 days until Christmas, and there's a little candy cane ornament, and we move it. Day by day, I know there's fun advent calendars where you get to open little candies. We don't do, we don't have one of the fun ones at my house, but because kids, they know this. There's this anticipation. They're waiting for Christmas, for the presents, for the for the family, for the fun. Maybe for you, there's some more serious things that you're waiting for in life. If you think about that question, you're waiting for a relationship to be healed, or you're waiting for the beginning of a relationship. Uh, you might be waiting. Uh, on healing because you have, either for yourself or a loved one, a bad diagnosis that there's really nothing you can do except for wait and pray. You might be waiting on that, that next pay period because honestly, finances, you know, all, jo- all joking aside about Amazon and online shopping, finances are really, really difficult for you. And you're just like, can we make it? till the next pay period before you know, the money runs out. Maybe for you, you're waiting on that prayer. And you have this unanswered prayer that you've been praying for. Maybe you're praying for a loved one to come to know Christ. You're praying for something that you know that God wants. You know it's, it's even within the will of God. And you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying. And God hasn't answered your prayer. Or maybe God has answered your prayer, but he's answered you with that one word, wait, wait. Let me remind you of Hebrews 11. We're going to be in Hebrews 11, by the way. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Hebrews 11. It'll be our main text today. Hebrews 11, verse 1. It might be a familiar verse. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11 is often called the faith chapter, and today, uh, we are going to be talking about faith, but really, the theme, the, the first candle of Advent, this is, uh, by the way, another reason I love Advent, is open flames in church. It's one of my favorite things, uh, is we're going to go ahead and light the first candle of Advent, which I know we're a week behind. We'll catch up on Christmas Eve, I promise. It'll all work out, is hope. It's the first theme of Advent. And today, we're going to be looking at Hebrews 11, which is the faith chapter. Uh, But really, faith and hope are inseparable. The two always go hand in hand. Faith is the assurance of things what? Hoped for. Even in the definition of faith, there's this, this, this link with hope. And so faith really has to do with trusting in God, the person of God, and trusting in the promises of God. But here's my definition of hope. Hope is what I want to focus on today. Hope is waiting 
with confident expectation. Can you say confident? Okay, you gotta say it with confidence, okay? Everyone say confident. Okay, you gotta be confident about it. Hope is, way, hope is not just this pie in the sky, empty optimism. Many people have hope, but it's what I would call a hollow hope. Man, I, ho- I sure hope everything will work out in the end. Well, what's that based on? I don't know. Just, it should though, right? I mean, shouldn't it? Shouldn't everything work out in the end? I mean, look at all the Disney movies we've seen. We've grew up on those things. Happily ever after. And so what I want to bring us back to is this idea of faith and hope, and it's this conviction of things not seen. Now, we have to be careful, because sometimes we read Hebrews 11.1, which is a very popular Bible verse, that uh, when we kind of get this idea of a blind faith and a hollow hope, but I want to clarify that faith is not blind. Faith, by definition, there's going to be an element of the unseen, Right? Because there's an element of the things that you are banking on, that you're hoping for, haven't arrived yet. We'll use the simple, the simple Amazon illustration, okay? This is where hope and faith really come into play. You, you ordered that package, right? And you look out the window, you're looking with your eyes, and the package has not yet showed up yet. It is a future reality. It's a future promise. What are you doing for the package? You are waiting for the package. So can you see the package? No, you can't. It's not there yet, right? If you could see it, if you had it in your hand, then you wouldn't need hope. You wouldn't be waiting anymore. It would have already, you would open it, you would have already arrived. But are there things that you can look to which boost your confidence that the package will in fact arrive? Of course. Right? What happens as soon as you hit purchase, an email comes to your inbox. It's called an order confirmation. God has given us confirmations of his promises, right? And so even though you can't, you don't have the package in your hand, you can look at a picture of the items you purchased. And it helps you visualize what it will be like when you receive that package, when it comes to your front door. And so you have this confirmation. We read God's word and we see these confirmations of God's promises. And you can look to God's word. You can look to God. But then also what you might look to is you might look around and uh, you might see the Amazon delivery vans. They have it. It's not the UPS. It's not the USPS. They have their own vans now. I don't know if they're doing the drone drop off yet, uh, but they have the vans, right? They're very, they're, you know, they're painted. They've got the smile, the little smile logo on the side. And the Amazon delivery vans is, li- is to adults what the ice cream truck was for kids. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? Because when you're a kid and you hear the, the little ice cream jingle and you run to the door and you're like, Mom, can I have a quarter? You know, because ice cream only cost a quarter back then or whatever. But you hear the like, the start and the stop of the engine because they're always driving so quick. They'll only be going like for two houses, like, you know, and you hear it out the window. It's not a jingle, but it's close. And you're like a kid again. And you're like, is it for me, right? And it's not for you. But you can see other people are receiving, right? 
that there's delivery men and women out there, you know? There's vans out there. There's, they, they got a package. They, so you can actually look at other people's experience. And then you, you can also look at your own life. Because let's be honest, this is not your first rodeo with Amazon, OK? You've, you've had a package or two delivered in the past. And you can actually look at your own experience. And you can say, well, I know. I know that I know it might be delayed. Something happened in the process. It might be delayed. I know it's taken longer than I thought it would. You know, I subscribed to Amazon Prime. I thought it would be only two days, right, or whatever it is. But you look back and, and you, there, you build almost like a relationship with a company, right, where you're like, I know something is on the way. So even though you can't physically see the fulfillment, Amazon fulfillment services, okay, you can't physically see the fulfillment of that package, or we might say that promise, there are things that you can look to. And today what I wanna do is I wanna show you, if you're taking notes, three things that you can look to that will boost your confidence and give you not a hollow hope, not a blind faith, but a secure, a living hope as you build your confidence in the person and the, the character and the promises of God. The first thing that you can look to is you can look backward. Everyone, do me a favor, just look backward right now. Look backward. There's nothing back there, by the way. It's just an easy way to remember it. Look backward to examples of faith. You can do this in your life. You can look at your life. You can look at moments where God came through. And there, are, there will be moments, if you walk with God long enough, there will be moments where God is maybe testing your faith, maybe stretching your faith, maybe growing your faith, where it seems like, I don't know how this is all gonna work out, but I need God to come through. And in those moments, it might be later than you would have hoped it would be, it might be at the very last second, but you're gonna look back at that moment and you're gonna be able to give all praise and all glory to God because there is no way that things would have worked out on your own power or your own control. Uh, our elders got together this week uh, for prayer and we filled, I posted online, you might have seen this picture uh, on our social media, on our Instagram or Facebook, uh, a timeline of all these sticky notes do you see that post? You can look back if you want. There's a, there's a, it's actually in the conference room right now. We didn't take them down. And these are moments of faithfulness. Where, and as we went and we shared these moments, we prayed and we just gave God all the praise and the glory uh, over the last uh, five years as a church, what God has done. But you can do this as well. And I love doing this near the new year. We're in December, okay? As we get to the end of a year, you can look back at your own life at moments where where you, you, your faith was being stretched or tested and you, you trusted God and God came through. And those are moments that help solidify and give you confident expectation that God is with you and he is working. But in Hebrews 11, what we not only see is, we not only see this encouragement for us to have this kind of faith, but we actually see examples of other people. We can look backward at all of redemption history. And Hebrews 11 is filled with example after example after example of faithful men and women who trusted God and God was good on his word. He was good on his promises. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse eight. Abraham is the classic example. By faith, 
Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You know that classic uh, marriage conversation or argument, we might say argument, in the car? Do you know that conversation and the husband's driving and the wife looks over and she's like, you have no idea where you're going, do you? And the husband's like, of course I know where I'm going. Could you just look it up just in case, though? Because Siri, I always have Siri on. And this is where it originated, Abraham and Sarah. <laughs> this is the very first. Are you sure you know? This is the very first example of that. Where this is amazing. God calls a- Abram at the time. His name's Abram at the time. To get up and go to the land I will show you. This is, God operates differently than we want him to operate. We want, and I've used this, I've used this phrase before, a Google Maps God. We want God to give us every step. You know, and Google Maps tells you the next step, but it also, if you want, you can zoom the map out. And you can look at how traffic is, oh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a little slower, and you can get real-time updates on ETA based on how fast you're driving, and you can look step-by-step, and you get, you get all the information you want, even the weather along the way on Google Maps, okay? We want God to be a Google Maps God, but God doesn't operate like that. He says, get up and go, and I'll show you where we're going. Where? Along the way. And so you can imagine Abram saying this to his wife, Sarah. All right, we're going, pack up. We're going into the unknown. We're, going, we're leaving our homeland. We're leaving security. We're leaving safety. We're going to be foreigners in the place that we're going. And then on the way, she looks over to him. You have no idea where you're going. And that's really exactly right. But he's trusting God for the very next step. And this is very, very important when it comes to following the leading of the Holy Spirit. That he's not gonna, God's not gonna give you the Google Maps breakdown, but he's going to lead you step by step. Here's the point, follow God wherever he leads you. Follow God wherever he leads you, even when it's uncomfortable, because guess what? The fact that it's uncomfortable is likely a sign that you're following Jesus correctly because he's gonna lead you out of your comfort zone into the unknown. He's gonna lead you to spread his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And that's going to mean you're gonna be led to do things, the good works that Christ Jesus prepared you in advance so that you would what? So that you would walk in them, walking by the Holy Spirit. It's gonna actually naturally make you an alien, a foreigner, and and an enemy in some ways of the status quo for the culture of the world. R. Kent Hughes says it like this, all of us are by faith to become willing sojourners, living in constant dissonance with the world as we await our final inheritance. It is a dangerous thing when a Christian begins to feel permanently settled in this world. And some Christians get uh, kind of concerned when they're living their lives, they're following Jesus, and things start to get a little uncomfortable, right? And you start to experience maybe resistance or opposition from people in the world, the way of the world. 
And the reality is Jesus told us there are two paths that you can walk. You can walk on the wide or the easy path, which leads to destruction. You can walk on the narrow, the difficult path, which leads to life. We should expect discomfort. And I love that phrase, constant dissonance with the world. And if you, if you as a follower of Jesus are in perfect harmony with the culture of the world, with the ideologies, with the worldview of the world, then odds are you aren't following Jesus with everything. And I would, I would just challenge you to have a faith like Abraham, to be willing to follow the Holy Spirit into the unknown each day of your life. And the longer that you say yes to the Holy Spirit, to those faith-stretching opportunities, to share the gospel, to, be a, to shine a light for Christ, the, the, the further you will get as you grow into maturity in Christ. Let's continue through our text. Hebrews 11, verse 13. This next passage will, it might mess with your head a little bit. I'm gonna be honest. We have these expectations for what a biblical faith looks like, what hope looks like. These next ones will kind of mess with us a little bit. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These, that's all the examples already given, okay? The examples of faithful men and women. These people all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Merry Christmas, welcome to church. Let me read that again. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. So saying yes to Jesus, when you follow Jesus, you become a pilgrim, a sojourner. And this isn't some... You know, ha, you know, in, in a camper van with the cool, you know, selfies and the, the Instagram filters, we become true uh, foreigners and, and exiles in this world. And God makes this promise to Abraham. Do you remember the covenant He made to bless all families of the earth? And the way in which God told Abraham the way that he would do that is by increasing his offspring so that they were as countless as the stars in the sky. And the, the age that Abraham was when God made this covenant, he was 75 years old, which I don't know if you're, you're 75 or older, but you know this, you're a little past your prime for having kids, okay? A li- just a little past your prime. And it would be... 25 more years that Abraham would wait until Sarah would give birth to Isaac, the child of promise. And then when Abraham eventually died, he only had eight sons total to his name. I don't know if you've ever been outside at night on a clear night. Are there more than eight stars in the sky? So this is what the author of Hebrews is telling us that God had promised Abraham, you're gonna have as many children as the stars in the sky. Your offspring will be as plentiful as the stars in the sky. They're gonna become a great nation, and through that nation, all the uh, families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham dies with eight sons, and even that child of promise, Isaac, that is a long time to wait for an Amazon package. 25 years, imagine, you place an order. 
You place an order, and you're like, free two-day shipping. Yes. And it takes 25 years for that package to show up. This is, it's in the advent. Do you see this? It's in the waiting that we need hope, that we need hope. And this is why Abraham and, and is such a phenomenal example. Now, he didn't do everything right. He, he didn't, he, he's, he's not a perfect example of hope. He messed up. There was times where he took matters into his own hands. And yet, for those 25 years, he's waiting, he's waiting, he's believing. R.T. France, Bible scholar, says it like this. Faith is being sure that what is hoped for will, in fact, take place. That however discouraging the present appearances may be, there is a solid reality underlying them. This isn't a blind faith or a hollow hope. There's a solid reality underlying them. What is this reality? The reality of God's utterly reliable promises. That's the reality that, un- that is the foundation of our hope. God's utterly reliable promises. Now, part of the thing that gets us into trouble is we have such a limited perspective of our current lifetime. And what we need to learn how to do is to zoom out for an eternal perspective and recognize that God is always good on his promises. Can you say that word, always? He is always good on his promises. All the promises of God are, find their yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He's always good on his promises, even if those promises are fulfilled after our lifetime. This is the difficulty, especially in our modern age. We have a microwave age, a fast food age, a quick Wi-Fi age, right? We live in this modern age where we don't just want it, we want it when? We want it now. We want it now, especially Amazon packages. We want them right now. And the reality is we must learn to do what Abraham did to welcome. He, he didn't see the fulfillment, but he saw the son of promise because Isaac Isaac was that son of promise. And Isaac had Jacob, right? And, and, and so on and so forth. And so what Abraham was able to see is he was able to welcome the fulfillment of that promise from a distance or from afar. So the eyes of his heart were able to see what his physical vision was unable to see. And so for us, we've got to learn to have this eternal perspective. But we also need to recognize that maybe what we are waiting for the promise we're waiting for God to keep is, is maybe not a promise that God has made. And we just need to recognize this. It's the promises of God that are utterly reliable, not our expectations and the things that we wish that God would promise us. This is why it's very important to be familiar with, the, with God's word. Familiarity with scripture and what is truly a promise of God versus just something that we wish God, that we really wish that God would do in our lives. We need to learn to pray that Gethsemane prayer, not as I will, but your will be done. And what that prayer is, it's an acknowledgement that the promises of God may be different than the things that we ask God to do. And it's yielding to God's perfect will and his perfect plan. Let's continue to read in Hebrews 11, verse 15. 
If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, this is those examples of faith, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Here's the second thing that we can look to, all right? Look forward. Everyone look forward. Oh, you're already looking forward. That works. No action needed. Look forward to our heavenly home. We're going to look backward at examples of faith, but we're going to look forward to our heavenly home. This is phenomenal. So Abraham was waiting for a physical land, a you know, he, he's waiting for a geographical location, and he did actually get to be in that land, but even that land, there was difficulty there, right? When there was famine, the descendants of Abraham would have to go to Egypt, and they were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, where they're separated from the promise of God. So it would seem like the people were given this promise, and then they were wondering, God, did you take that away? And then finally, they go back to the land, right? Remember the conquest, and they had to fight for it. God had a, you know, the Joshua, and there's the conquest in the land. They're settled in the land, finally. And then they disobey God, and then what happens again? They go to exile. Where's the land? We're separated from the land. And then they're finally back. You see? There's, so there's difficulty in this, and it's a promise that God had made to the people. But what we learn here is while Abraham was looking for a physical land, ultimately what his heart was crying out for was a heavenly home. A heavenly home. Heaven is one of the greatest promises of God. And I don't think we think about heaven enough, at least seriously. Right? I don't think we maybe even talk about heaven enough, seriously. Uh, this will change your level of hope if you truly look forward to your heavenly home. This will, this will give you not a hollow hope, this will fill up your hope, a living kind of hope, if you truly recognize the reality of our heavenly home. Uh, Paul in Philippians 3.20 says this. He says, but our citizenship is in where? It's in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, fun fact about me, I'm a dual citizen. Did you know that? I'm a dual citizen. I am uh, a US citizen and also an Australian citizen. I have two passports. Uh, yesterday, both the United States and Australia played in the World Cup. Soccer. Anyone follow soccer? Uh, I grew up playing soccer, played competitive soccer, so I don't watch a lot of, uh, like, I don't watch the NFL, I don't watch Major League Baseball, but like once every four years, I get really excited, the World Cup's on, and I, uh, I watched both those games, and guess what, spoiler alert, America lost and Australia lost. It is a horrible day to be an Australian-American <laughs> citizen. And, uh, and a soccer fan on top of that. So just a triple whammy right there. But the reality is, uh, I'm a dual citizen, right? So I can, that's one of the reasons next week I'm, I'm going, uh, I'm traveling to the Australian embassy in Honolulu to renew my Australian passport so that I can, uh, so that I can travel freely to Australia. But my mom is not a dual citizen. She is only an Australian citizen. And she lived more than a decade in America. I grew up in America, that's why I don't have an Aussie accent. Uh, but I was born in Australia. But my mom 
was on a green card the entire time. And so you, you know, you recognize this. There's certain like benefits, privileges, rights, you might say, uh, that you forego when you are a foreigner living in a different land, when you're not a national citizen. My mom never voted in an American election. Uh, she, you know, there's, there's some of those kind of things. Uh, the reality is, uh, whenever the Olympics would come on, you know, she would like, yeah, go America. But then when there was like a good Australian a- athlete in our household, we all knew about it, right? It was like one of those things. Well, they got a really good swimming team or they got a really good, you know, even golfer or whatever, right? And there's always this element of if things don't go well here in America, in the United States, we always have Australia to go back to. In fact, my grandpa left my uh, mom the house that he built, that she was born and raised in. And that's where my parents live to this day. They actually did. They ended up going back and they live in Australia in the house that my mom grew up in. There is a home across the ocean that gave my mom this healthy level of, you might say indifference or peace in any kind of the national struggles that America would face, we always have this home across the sea. And the reality is, for many followers of Jesus, you're trying to be like, you're trying to be a dual citizen, right? You're trying to play both sides of the field. You're trying to root for both teams. The reality is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're not an American first, a Christian second. You, ha- you're, you have a new citizenship. You are citizens of where? Everyone say it. You're citizens of? You're citizens of heaven. You're citizens of heaven. And what that does is as you look forward to your heavenly home, remember what Jesus said in John 14? I am going ahead of you to prepare a place, a home for you. And the more that that is real in our minds and in our hearts, the less we will blow the current events out of proportion. I see this all the time. People catastrophizing. And I'm not here to say that there's not problems in the world. Don't get me wrong. I recognize there's very real. And I'm not saying that we should be totally ignorant or negligent when it comes to you know, our involvement or how we pray for the world or any of that sort of stuff. But there's a reality of being totally overwhelmed by anxiety and fear for the current events, right? And this infiltrates the church so very frequently. And I just want to look at people in the eyes and be like, where's your citizenship? Because it seems like not only are you trying to be a dual citizenship, it seems like you've totally forgotten your other passport. It seems like you're totally forgetting about this present age that we're living in is not the end. There's a resurrection from the dead. There's there's all things being made new. There's death being removed. There's disease and illness being removed. Have you really thought about this? Or do you have such a, we can call it a nearsightedness in this present age that if if something goes wrong, you begin to waver or doubt in your trust in God's person or his promises. C.S. Lewis says it like this, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under. I love that imagery. It's snowing today, right? 
I must never let this, this desire for my two crunchy get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. Don't forget that you're a citizen of heaven. If you have a faith in Christ Jesus, if you've been saved by God's grace through faith, then this world is not your home. Now, I say that knowing that this world technically will be made new and we will be back here on planet Earth, but a renewed version of Earth. But you get the idea. The, the present age as it stands right now is not your home. And so there should be a healthy level of not, not necessarily true indifference where you just totally don't care about what's going on in the world around you or the problems or anything like that, but you don't have to blow those things out of proportion. You don't have to be overcome or overwhelmed by fear. God did not give us a spirit of fear. And so as we look out across the world, we can pray with compassion for the world, but especially, I just wanna speak to you, especially if you're one of those people who has a loved one, or maybe even you yourself, has a very bad health diagnosis. This is where this kind of hope especially needs to be filled up within you. To know that all humans will die, and yet not all humans will truly live again. Jesus said in John 11 that those who believe in him, those who have a faith in him, will live even though they die. And so for you to look forward at that greater promise, that greater promise of the resurrection of the dead and the heavenly home and all that God has prepared for you. Let's go ahead and look at, our, uh, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, this is even more examples. The rest of the chapter of Hebrews 11 is just a bunch more examples of, of person after person, man and woman, who, uh, who shows their faith to God. It says this, therefore, in light of all of those people, since we are surrounded by a cloud, a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's the third place we're gonna look. Everyone look up. Look up. Look upward to Christ. Where are we gonna look? We're gonna look backward to examples of faith. We're gonna look forward to our heavenly home, and we're gonna look upward to Christ. Christ came, the Son of God, preexistent, eternal, perfect Son of God. He came in Bethlehem. Born to the Virgin Mary, the incarnation, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. He came. God came to us. Christianity is not about us climbing a ladder or trying to work our way up to God. God came where? He came to, to us. That's a delivery right to your front door. He came to us. And he died on the cross for the joy set before him. Not that Jesus enjoyed every moment. It was excruciating pain. Face, shouldering the sins of the world, facing the wrath of God. Remember him sweating blood? It's not, that, it's, not that he was, it's not that it was pleasurable for him or it's not that he enjoyed it, but he had this greater joy knowing what his death would accomplish. Knowing that it would allow there to be forgiveness of sins and salvation for mankind. So Christ came, he died, 
He rose in victory three days later. He not only rose, we can't forget this. He ascended and he is seated on the throne on high. That's why, where do we look when we look to Christ? We look upward to where Christ is now. Colossians 1.15, Paul writes that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is what's beautiful about Jesus, that God is spirit, and no one has seen God face to face, especially for us with all the sin that is still in our lives. We couldn't be in God's perfect, holy presence, right? And yet Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the God that we can see with our eyes. And if Christ came once, we can be certain that he will come back. And I know for you, you might be saying, well, I haven't physically seen God with my eyes, right? You know, you can see this Amazon package. Some of you are like, what's in the box? I'm not gonna open the box uh, because it's empty. It's just a prop, okay? Uh, There's nothing in there. But what we have to bank on, this is why our faith is not a blind faith, is we actually are banking on the eyewitness accounts of men and women, at least 500 men and women, who in the 40 days after Jesus died and, and rose again, saw him. Look at what John, the apostle John wrote in 1 John 1, 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he makes it, the apostle John makes it very clear. You don't have this blind faith, you don't have this hollow hope John is saying, I've seen it. Not only him alone, he's like, we've seen it. There's a bunch of us who saw Jesus and what you have to bank on is the eyewitness accounts. I remember that conversation that Jesus had with Thomas. You remember Thomas? Easter Sunday and Jesus, the women have seen Jesus at the tomb and then the apostles, the disciples have seen Jesus back at the house, but who wasn't there? Thomas wasn't there. We don't know what he was doing, grabbing groceries, who knows. And he comes back, and they say, like, we saw him, the risen Savior. Thomas is like, no way. And then they're like, what? No, we seriously did. And he's like, well, where is he? And they're like, no, he left. He's not here now, but we saw him. He's like, you guys are just pranking me. And he won't believe it. He says, He says, unless I see the holes in his hands and the scar in his side from where the spear went through, I will never believe. And then, of course, Jesus, this would not be the only resurrection appearance of Christ. He appeared many times over a period of 40 days, and it's, it's the very next day he appears, and Thomas is with them this time. And Jesus, instead of scolding Thomas for his unbelief, he invites him to put his fingers in the holes in his hands and his hand in the scar on his side. And Thomas falls down on his knees, and he says, my Lord and my God, which is the appropriate response when you come to realize that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And this is what Jesus says. It's a beautiful thing, and this is a promise for you and me. Talking about the promises and waiting and hope. John 20, verse 39, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed, or he might say, even more blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about us. 
And so when it comes to visually seeing Christ, I have to tell you this because we sometimes forget, you will see Christ with your eyes one day. You will. When? When Christ returns or after you die. You will see Christ return one day. And so what Jesus is saying is for all eternity, you have to continue to believe without seeing. He's not saying that. He's saying one day, and this is where the, the blessing of hope comes in, the blessing of waiting on the promises and the fulfillment of God come in, it is, is it, we have the opportunity to demonstrate a deeper faith and trust than Thomas displayed. We have the opportunity to look backwards at examples of faith and allow it to fill us our hope. We have the opportunity to look forward at our heavenly home and fill our hope. And even right now, as those who are in Christ have been filled with the Holy Spirit, you can look up to Christ and fill your hope. And I just want to invite you, even if you've never you know, seen Christ visually with your eyes, but today, the Holy Spirit has been opening the eyes of your heart. The eyes of your heart have been enlightened to the reality of the gospel. Today, you can receive the gospel by faith. You can receive, you can ask God to be uh, the savior of your life, the forgiver of your sins, and to lead you. And we have the opportunity to celebrate people declaring that through baptism today. Can we celebrate that once again? And there's plenty of water. We got plenty of water back there. I just encourage you, if, even if you're on the fence, uh, you can sign up to get baptized, or you can learn more about baptism at hillcityboise.org slash baptism. What baptism represents is it's this beautiful Hebrews 12, laying aside sin that entangles you. You want to know what trips you up in, in walking with God? Sin. It's like trying to run a race with your shoelaces tied. It trips you up. It entangles you. And it's this thing that gets so stuck to your soul that you wonder, how can I get this off of me? And you want to know what baptism represents? It represents through the power of the gospel, not you scrubbing your own sins off, but the Holy Spirit of God washing your sins away. Amen? How do you get sin to disentangle you? How do you, do you ever have a stain on a piece of clothes? And it just won't come out, right? You're like, I need something a little more what? More powerful. You want to know what's powerful? The power of the gospel. The Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And so what baptism represents is it represents more, uh, more than just a washing. It represents someone going under the water, dying to the old life, and being raised up by the power of God to walk in the newness of life. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.